The Create and Thrive Podcast, episode 106. Staying open to possibilities with Lisa Congdon. Do you want to grow a thriving, profitable handmade business? My name's Jess Van Den, and I'm here to help you do just that. I took my own handmade business full-time in 2010, and since 2013, I've helped thousands of makers, just like you, create and grow successful handmade businesses. So, are you ready to thrive? Let's get learning. Hey Thriver, Jess here. Welcome to the show. And what a show it is for you. You may have noticed it's a long episode, but it's well worth the listen. Uh, before we start that, of course, I'm excited because I'm currently getting ready to head off to the Artful Business Conference in Brisbane, staying with some friends in the city for the weekend and having uh, tomorrow on Friday, as I record this, having some fun and catching up with a whole bunch of Thriver Circle members who are coming to town for the conference. So we're doing a bit of a city tour and then we're having a dinner. So I'm really looking forward to that, meeting some of my lovely Thriver Circle members in person and uh, catching up with some other ones that I've met before and then spending uh, a weekend kind of diving into business, all things creative business with like-minded people, which is always super exciting, especially getting the opportunity to do it in real life, inverted commas. (laughs) It's all real life, really. Analog. I prefer to say like analog and digital life because online life is as real as offline life, right? So in in analog life, we'll be (laughs) hanging out and learning together rather than in digital life. Uh, So that's what I'm going to be doing over the weekend. And uh, I'm sure that I'll come away from that with a whole lot more ideas and a big injection of uh, enthusiasm for my work. So that's going to be fantastic. And speaking of enthusiasm, uh, today's guest is very enthusiastic, but also very grounded and practical, uh, the lovely Lisa Congdon. And we had a very in-depth chat um, it's almost an hour long, but I highly recommend you listen to the whole thing because Lisa has so much wisdom and experience to share. Uh, we talk about her own journey, how she stumbled into making art <laughs> in her 30s and how she managed to turn that into a full-time business, nay, empire, may I say, uh, by the time she was in her 40s and it is still growing strong. You know, she's done work for places like MoMA, Harvard University. Um, She's published a whole bunch of books uh, with Chronicle Books. And she has a wonderful blog and uh, she still has an Etsy shop with her artwork. And she also teaches other artists how to um, basically do business. Um, She has a great book called Art Inc., The Essential Guide to Building Your Career as an Artist. So she has a lot of knowledge, a lot of experience, a lot of wisdom, and we talk about all of her experiences and um, how she thinks about her business and her uh, creative journey as well. Um, she and I, I feel like she's my sister from another mister because we have a lot in common. We both started as primary school teachers back in the day and kind of stumbled onto a creative hobby and then sort of turned it into a business. And I think that's going to be a journey that's very familiar to many of you as well. And Lisa's a great example of the fact that you can start at any time and, you know, the whole patience thing, marathon, not a sprint, you know, she was, she was practicing her art for years before it kind of turned into a career. So we talk about that as well. 
But I'll stop rambling on about it and let you listen to the actual wonderful interview. And I hope you enjoy it. If you have any comments or uh, feedback, of course, Thriver Circle members, we have our discussion in the group. So head on over to the group and we can talk about that. Otherwise, you can leave a comment on the Create and Thrive Facebook page or on the blog. This is episode 106. So just look for the show notes for that episode. I hope you enjoy and get a lot of inspiration and information out of this interview with Lisa Congdon. Hi, Lisa. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's awesome to have you. I'm really excited to have you on the show today. I've known about your work for a very long time now. Um, and I was like, oh, you know, maybe I should try getting in touch. So I was, I was thrilled when you said you would be happy to come on the show. So thanks for that. Um, I just want to start because I think there's something I wanted to address that, that you wrote about on your blog recently. And that's that you didn't you weren't always an artist. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. <laughs> it's something that you came to a little bit later in life. And the reason I wanted to kind of uh, highlight that from the beginning is because I think a lot of my listeners are in the same boat. You know, they're, they're kind of, they've had a bit of a career or they've had some kids and they're, they're at a point where some, they want something to change. You know, they're a bit over what they were doing. They've got something coming up and a lot of them have that feeling of, well, maybe it's too late. Maybe I've, you know, I've missed the boat or something like that. But um, is that the case, do you think? I think most of the time, no. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons that I think it's often not the case is that we don't often consider like those of us who pursue a creative path as a second career we don't necessarily consider that all of the things that we've done with our life leading up to this point are actually going to make us um, not necessarily a better artist because that is it's sort of its own thing that mm. you need to work on, but at least make us better at running a business, relating to people, um, putting our work out there into the world. Mm. I think there's something about being older that actually gives you an advantage. And, um, you know, of course, like to make a living as an artist, you have to, or a creative person, you have to have a thing that you do and you have to get good enough at it that people are going to want to buy it from you <laughs> like, so that you can make a living. And that's all really important. But I found equally as important is this idea that I was actually, like, because I worked in a totally different industry for mm -hmm. years. I was, I was first a teacher in a, in a school, a primary school, and then Oh, my from God, there I so was in, I. That's hilarious. Oh, <laughs> I know. Well, <laughs> I've had a lot of people who are sort of career changers started off as teachers. And I loved being a teacher, but yeah. it was pretty exhausting. Yes. Anyway, I... Um, <laughs> I went on to work in um, two different education nonprofits, and I feel like that's sort of where I developed all of these skills that actually I had no idea when I left my job to become an artist that I would use so many of these skills that I had learned to help build my art career. So, for example, like I was managing projects mm. and relating to clients and to coworkers, and I had to learn really good communication skills, and I had to learn how how to organize my time. And I had no idea how important that would be in, you know, once I had built my career as an artist and sort of mm. managing all of my work. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, anyone starting a career later in life should remember that mm. like, even if making art or being a creative person in, you know, is your second career that, um, 
all of the things that you've done leading up to that um, are probably going to help you do a better job at running a business, which is really like having artistic talent is really important, but it's really only a small part of, <laughs> you know, of the big picture, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Other things are super important too, and we forget about them. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I always say how important it is to, you know, the business side of things. If you want a successful business, you have to do business and you have to learn a lot about it and enjoy it. And I think also another thing about starting a little bit older perhaps is confidence. You know, maybe you're a little bit more like confident in yourself and who you are and what you want out of life. I I think so. And I I, I do think that regardless of age, you know, people struggle with confidence mm, yeah. um, for sure. But I do think that there's a, there's a sort of um, the maturity that I think in particular older women bring to whatever it is they pursue later in life. If they mm. try something new, like there's a, I don't know if it's confidence or if it's just um, sort of having tried other things, they sort of know that this is what they want. Right. And, um, and so that's also another super important quality, like this understanding that like I've tried to do all these other things with my life, but mm-hmm. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to pursue this one with fervor because I know this is really what I want. And that I think is an advantage of being older. Like we're more confident in the fact that we actually want to, you know, have success at something if we're trying it later in life. So, yeah, that's absolutely true. So with your own career, like when you started um, making art, did you plan to become an artist, uh, like, a, a you know, to plan to t- turn that into your career, or was it just something you did for fun? Well, at first, it definitely was something I did for fun. Um, <laughs> I was <laughs> I was talking to this guy that I know the other day, and he didn't know a very much about my history and how I got started. And he's like, yeah, I found out the other day through talking to a mutual friend that you didn't actually start drawing or painting until you were, like, 31. And I was said, no. And, he, and he's like... <laughs> And then you just became a professional artist? And I said, no, no, no. Actually, <laughs> I started drawing and painting as a hobby. Like, I had a regular job. I had zero aspiration to become a professional artist. Like, if you had <laughs> told me, you know, that many years ago that this would be my life, I would have thought you were bonkers. I was never somebody as a kid or a teenager who was very artistic. And I just, I, as a kid, I was actually interested in sports. I wasn't very, um, I wasn't the kid that you would have labeled being super creative or artistic at all. Mm -hmm. But what happened was when I was in my early thirties, um, I had a full-time job, um, you know, working in education and I was pretty happy. I liked what I did. And my brother, who's two years older than I am, um, he was also in his early thirties and he was getting a certification to become a landscape designer. And Mm -hmm. he, in the school program he was in, he had to take an elective so he had to take a class for fun to sort of fill a spot in his <laughs> schedule. Yeah. And so he decided to take this painting class and he the class was open to the public. So he asked me if I would take this class with him. <laughs> and I was like, sure. And I think honestly I was more excited about hanging out with my brother <laughs> than I was about taking a painting class. Like I I nef- I definitely like hadn't necessarily considered, you know, taking an art class before that. But I had so much fun. I have him to thank because I had so much fun <laughs> in that class and Ironically, my brother never picked up a paintbrush again, but um, <laughs> but I went on to like continue to take classes, and for several years, it was simply a hobby. 
Um, and then I started posting pictures of what I was making about, um, I don't know, four or five years later on the internet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like not in the internet at the time was very different than it is now. This is oh, yeah. about 2004. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so there was like blogs, but they looked really <laughs> different. And there was Flickr, which now we think of as being really antiquated. Oh my gosh, but Flickr. at the time, that, yeah. I know, right? <laughs> and, but that's where people were hanging out and sharing pictures of things and yep. meeting each other. And so that's kind of like, and I started getting inquiries, um, like, can I buy this from you? Do you sell your work? And then eventually, would you like to have a show in my gallery? And I was experimenting with a lot of different things. I was sewing. I, you know, it's kind of weird that I turned out being a painter <laughs> and, and, you know, like an illustrator because I could have just as easily become a quilter or mm-hmm. like done something else. Cause at the time I was sort of experimenting with all different kinds of things creatively and posting yeah. pictures of them. And, um, it just so happened that this is, I think where most of my passion and talent lied and I like took off with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I started sort of selling my work just in bits and pieces and here and there. And then I opened an Etsy shop in 2007 and, um, also left my job that year. Although it sounds like I had some other things that I was doing on the side mm-hmm. to supplement my income because I wasn't making a whole lot of money at first. So eventually it became this thing that I pursued as a career, but that took several years to even get to that place where mm-hmm. I would even think that it was possible. In the beginning, it was purely just something I did for fun and then discovered I loved it. And it turns out other people <laughs> did too. So I love that story. That story, it resonates a lot with my own journey and I think the journey of a lot of other people that sort of, you know, discovering something, learning about it, exploring it, and then suddenly, like, people start asking about it or you start putting it out there in the world and and kind of see what sticks and what people resonate with and, and what they enjoy and, and follow that and what you you really enjoy and, you know, where your passion really lies. So that's fantastic. And then, you know, you said, you know, we've got your Etsy shop and, and all that sort of stuff. You decided to turn it into a career how like you there's everybody listening if you haven't checked out Lisa's work yet she does a lot of different things and a lot of awesome stuff how does that all come about I mean how do you you kind of find collaborations with big brands or how do you start art classes on on the internet like did you consciously (laughs) decide to go in all these directions or did things just kind of come come to you and you just decided to follow them Or did you actually actively go after them? I think a combination of Mm. all of those things. And that's, I think, one important thing for people to remember is that every artist's path is different. And usually it's going to be some some combination of pursuing things on your own, being approached. You know, once you build a following, it's more likely that other people will come to you. And that Mm -hmm. definitely started happening for me. But in the beginning, you know, I definitely did a lot of putting my work out there. And um, I... I had no idea that the internet would become the space that it has become for artists and mm-hmm. that I would be part of like the first wave of that. But I, I was sort of starting out around the time that the internet was becoming a space for artists to share their work mm-hmm. and to try to like promote their work. And again, this was even, bef- you know, right at the beginning of Facebook. And I don't even know at the time if, 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 if get, you know, having a Facebook fan page, for example, was even a thing. Um, I think at the time it was just like people's personal profile, yeah, but I think so. there was no Instagram. I mean, there was maybe <laughs> Tumblr, but like, you know, there was like a few different ways to share your work. And of course, Flickr, people were still on Flickr at that point. Mm-hmm. And 
So I just sort of understood on this core level that I, if I was going to make it as an artist, I needed to start sharing my work and putting my work out there in the hopes that somebody would discover it. Like I, I also understood that at some point I was going to have to contact um, places that I wanted to collaborate with, but that some combination of that, you know, like there's in one of my business classes, I talk about like there's basically for illustrators, there's two approaches to getting work. Like one is, um, and I use both of them, but one is like, if you build it, they will come (laughs) approach. Like basically build your, build your social media platform, build your presence online, Mm -hmm. right? Like, um, you know, start posting pictures of your work, you know, create a nice clean website, um, you know, use different social media platforms to share your work, start building a following. Um, and then you sort of hope that people will find you and go to your Etsy shop and buy something or that some, you know, important blogger will share one of your posts or, you know, or that like an art director or editor at a publisher you're interested in working with will stumble on, you you know, Mm-hmm. what you're doing. And so there's a certain amount of that that happens over time, especially after you build a following. A lot of the work that you get as an artist just comes directly to you. People are inquiring, oh, will you come, you know, will you collaborate with us? But in the beginning, it's also really important to like call, also think about who you're interested in working with. And mm-hmm. so like there's the uh, the other approach, which is like basically pitching your work or your portfolio mm-hmm. to um, a big name brand or a company or a publisher that you're interested in working with. And there are several ways to go about that, but, but actually like either sending out postcard mailings or sending emails, or if you have connections to a place, like trying to find the right person to have a conversation with about whether there's a possibility of working together. Mm-hmm. And, um, I employed both of those tactics in the beginning Currently, I mostly only like respond to people approaching me about work, but I also have built a following over the last 10 years. And so I'm almost overwhelmed sometimes with <laughs> opportunities coming my way. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you first start out, you don't have that luxury and you have to go after the work yourself. So there are a couple different ways to approach it. And, and like by the time I got into like online teaching, which I do mostly, I have a few of my own classes on my website, but mm-hmm. mostly I do that online platforms and all of those places came to me and said we would really love for you to teach a class on our platform Mm -hmm. so let's work together and so that was that was great and it's also great exposure to to teach yeah it absolutely is so do you think artists should consider having those supplementary income streams or or additional types of work on the side of what they do or to complement perhaps what they do with their art i think i think um you should only take on the amount of work that you can handle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and every, you know, everybody, like everybody is different. So I would say if you have opportunities and you have time in your schedule and you're an artist, diversifying your income, not just because, you know, not just because of the income, like mm. not just because, you know, the more things you do, the more, you know, ways there are to make an income. Um, but also for example, like, yes, I make an extra income in addition to my illustration work from teaching, and that's great. But when I teach classes, classes, it also introduces all of those people to, um, 
my work. And yeah. then they might also buy things from my web shop or, you know, start following me on Instagram or whatever. So there are ways that, um, you know, doing things like teaching either in-person workshops in your community mm. or teaching online classes um, can really actually not only provide you with additional income, but also build and grow your audience. So it's kind of like a double thing. However, if you're an illustrator or an artist or a maker who aspires to make money and you hate, you hate teaching (laughs) or you're not interested in it, that's completely fine too. It's not, it's not a prerequisite. I just think it's a great way to build your audience and make a little extra income if you can. Yeah, definitely. And if it's something you enjoy and it's something that you feel like you have something to teach or something to share, then it's a great great thing to do. Exactly. You have to feel like you have something to offer Mm. and that it's unique and, you know, and all of those things are like you can develop over time because it might be for people starting off like, oh, I can't imagine teaching a class now, Mm. but five years into your career, you might actually have some skills that you could teach other people so yeah definitely and there's that whole fear of you know the whole fear of public speaking thing um which is quite interesting because like I love speaking I love well I have a podcast but I also love you know I love actually giving uh speeches and talks and whatnot however I was the kid in high school who absolutely was terrified of getting up in front of the class and talking like I hated it back then absolutely hated with a passion so it's not something you necessarily are born loving it's something that you get used to like I just have becoming a teacher I mean there's no there's no greater fire to walk through than having to stand in front of a class of little kids for five hours a day and not only keep them engaged but actually help them to try to learn something like when when you do something like that I mean you know you really have to get over the fear of talking in front of people in that case So I think yeah, I know, and adults, <laughs> adults are sometimes even more difficult to deal with. So. Oh yeah, but but at least you hope that they're there because they want to be there. So that's you know there is exactly. that as well. That does, that does yes. <laughs> so if you are, especially if you have a teaching background, I think it's it's almost inevitable you might end up uh, teaching your passion as well. But I'm very similar to you, Jess. I was one of those people who never would have volunteered to sort of give a talk or anything. And I got, I started a few years into my career. People were like, Oh, will you tell your story at the, at this conference? Or mm-hmm. will you, you know, and, and I was like, what are you, what really? Okay. <laughs> and then I realized that it was actually kind of fun for me and mm-hmm. I'm a pretty introverted person. Mm-hmm. Like I, if I walked into a party, I'd probably stand in the corner until somebody came to talk to me. I'm not super outgoing. <laughs> I'm the same. Yeah. I mean, unless, unless I, unless I knew it was people. There. Yeah. Like if I walked into a party of people I didn't know, but I can get on a stage in front of a room people of people I don't know, and I'm completely comfortable. Mm. So, and that's something about myself that I had no idea about until <laughs> I started doing it. So, yeah, exactly. You never know until you try and give it and give it a go. It's true. And if you talk, and I think that goes. I- Go ahead. No, I was going to say, and it it really depends. Like if you if you're comfortable with the subject matter and you know what you're talking about, it's easy. Yes. For sure. Mm. And I was going to say that's probably true for, I mean, there's probably so many ways to make an income as an artist that in the beginning I would have been like, no, that's not for me or I would never do that, Mm. you know. Like, in fact, to be honest with you, Creative Bug, which is this platform that I have a ton of classes on, the woman, there's a woman who, she no longer works there, but Mm -hmm. she was one of the founders. And I knew her through another friend um, and at the time I was living in San Francisco 
And um, that's where Creative Bug is based. And mm-hmm. this woman was emailing me and she's like, oh, we started this platform. It's going to be great. And I was so resistant. <laughs> I said no to her like for an entire year. Um, I just was like, I'm not interested in teaching online classes. That sounds like my worst nightmare. No offense. Mm-hmm. And then what happened was a friend of mine decided to teach um, a class. And she... Uh, I saw the trailer for her class and it was so impressive and beautiful that I was like, oh, this sounds like fun. Like <laughs> maybe they, se- they seem like a really cool company to work with. And so I wrote to this woman and I was like, okay, I've changed my mind. I'll record a class <laughs> with you. And it ended up being so much fun, such a great experience. And over time it's become super lucrative for me. So, you know, sometimes things sound like they're going to, you know, be horrible and then they end up, you know, being like amazing experiences. So you just never know. I guess the, the, the lesson there is like stay open yeah. to all the possibilities. Yeah. And, and give it a crack if, if it you know yeah. seems like something that might work. Um, so another thing you do is you create books and you've written quite a lot of books. How did that come about? Well, my very first book actually came out of um, this, project that I did in 2010 called a collection a day. And it was like this daily project where every single day for an entire year, I posted a picture. If you go onto my Instagram feed, you'll see like, there's a lot of photographs of organized collections of Mm. old things like little erasers and vintage office (laughs) supplies and things. I am a collector of lots of weird little things and my studio is filled with them. And so back in 2010, I started this project where I started photograph like arranging them things by color or like type and I started to photograph them like a uh, sort of arranged on an imaginary grid and I did this project over the course of a year and there's a magazine out of Canada called Uppercase yes and um, it's a beautiful you know art and craft magazine and the woman um, Janine who's um, the editor of Uppercase said I'm going to start publishing like small runs of, of books. And at the time I had no other offers for a book deal for, I didn't, I hadn't farmed it out or anything, Mm. but she literally like approached me and was like, (laughs) would you like to turn this project into a book? We just take all of the photos you've been posting over the last year and put them in a book format. And, um, it was such a great opportunity for me because she came to me Mm. And um, we went ahead and, and made this book called A Collection a Day. And so she's a small publisher. It didn't get wide distribution. You know, um, if, if I had gone with a bigger publisher, it might have. But it was fine because it was my first book and it was a great sort of low-risk learning experience for yeah. me. And I had basically mostly done all the work already. Mm-hmm. And then two years later, I did another internet project called 365 Days of Hand Lettering. So you're seeing a pattern here. I like to do lots of like, <laughs> daily, weekly <laughs> projects. I don't do as many anymore because I got a little bit burned out. But yeah. I did one in 2012 that was like I hand lettered something different every day. Mm-hmm. And I had for a few years been working on some stationary projects with Chronicle Books, which is a publisher in San Francisco where I lived at the time. And an uh, editor there approached me and said, I would really like to, to take some of the hand lettered quotations that you've made for this hand lettering project and turn them into a book. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, okay. <laughs> so um, again, the opportunity 
opportunity came to me because I had sort of like put my work into the world in yeah. a really um, consistent way. And so that is my book, Whatever You Are, Be a Good One, which is a book of hand-lettered quotations. And that book is sold like gangbusters. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been a really exciting thing for me because it was kind of this book that I was like, yeah, sure, we can turn this into a book. And I was super casual about it. <laughs> <laughs> and then it ended up like sold over 150,000 copies. Wow. Like, it's been been great. Um, and then we did a so, – so that's sort of how I got into making yeah. books was like – like I developed a relationship with Chronicle, who's a pretty, you know, uppercase is a tiny, 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 mm. tiny, tiny, tiny publisher. And Janine now only really publishes her own books. They're gorgeous, mm. but she's super small. And then to Chronicle, who's not a large publisher like Random House or Penguin, but fairly decently sized, like mm. medium sized art publisher. And so I developed a, a stronger relationship with them and then ended up publishing a sequel to Whatever You Are Be a Good One called Fortune Favors the Brave. And then from there, a book um, called Art Inc., mm-hmm. um, which was or which came out around the same time, um, which is a business book for artists, mm-hmm. which I wrote but did not illustrate. <laughs> um, and then last year, I published The Joy of Swimming, which is a book about swimming. I'm a lifelong swimmer, and so it's an illustrated book about uh, essentially about the joy of swimming. Mm-hmm. And then I have another book um, that comes out in October. Um, so it's just it's kind of like one of those things where I developed a relationship with this editor. She really loves my work Mm -hmm. and my books have sold well. And so I just keep making more of them. I don't, I, now I'm working on two more. It's like (laughs) now my career is basically become books. So I don't know how it's funny that you ask, how did that happen? Because telling this story, I'm like, it is kind of crazy. (laughs) I actually, I didn't set out to like, just like I didn't set out to be a professional artist, I yeah. didn't set out to like somebody who made books. It's not like, you know, six or seven years ago, if you had said, Lisa, what are your goals and dreams for your career? Like, I want to be an author of books. I want to write books. Like, I don't even know if that would have been on the list. And as it turns out, I absolutely love it. That's cool. And books. that follows on from our last, you know, thing about being open to possibility. Um, yes, exactly. exactly. I actually remember your collection of day project. I think I was following you even back then. So I remember when that, that yeah. came out. Um, and yeah, that's so cool. It's just these, these things appearing. And this has made me think, you know, you, you keep saying, you keep talking about, you know, artists need to put their work out there and stuff like that. There's two things I want to address with that. The first is, what would you recommend as the best way for new and emerging artists to get their name out there? Like what platforms to use? And two, what will you say to the artists who are uh, kind of, I guess, scared or hesitant to put their work out there because they're worried about people stealing or copying their work? Okay. So let's address the first question, which mm-hmm. is best, best platforms. I think right now and, you know, two years from now, this could be completely different. Um, because things are changing at such a rapid pace. Oh yeah. But I think that the one, the, you know, one of the best social media platform is, um, is Instagram. It's mm-hmm. like a, it's free. It's like a place where you can essentially have a free portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think that for artists, Instagram should be your portfolio because <laughs> you know if you want to pursue a professional career you should also have a website so I'm not suggesting that it it, it act as your portfolio but in yeah. a way it's like and the features on Instagram which allow you to discover people mm. who 
are who make things that are similar to stuff you already like is really interesting. So I'm sure you have sort of looked at that um, mm. explore. I don't know if it's called explore, but that sort of feature where there's like a grid of things that'll yep. say like, if let's say you tend to like cat pictures, it'll like show you <laughs> all the cats that you might like or whatever. And so there's just like that feature shows you stuff that Instagram thinks you're already interested in, or it shows you artwork that's similar to what your friends like or what you already like. Mm-hmm. And so one of the ways that people discover you on Instagram is just through sort of exploring or following links or whatever. And um, you just, the approach that I took or in the mindset that I have is you just never know who's going to follow you. Mm. And um, it could be somebody who um, is, you know, and I've heard so many stories of like, random people without big followings, like being followed by somebody and then getting an opportunity because it was an art director at a company or, you know, somebody else who was a big following who liked your work and reposted it. Like you just never know. And so I think Instagram's fantastic. You can't link to things there and Mm. stuff on there isn't shareable in the same way, but it's, but it's, it's a great place. I also think that there are some really fantastic sites out there and I'm going to um, sort of like, um, I'm not going to name any of them, but there are sites, well, I'm going to name one like Behance. Mm-hmm. Like it's a yeah. portfolio site. Some of them are free. Some of them are paid. I teach this class called So You Want to Be an Illustrator. It's on my website. But like if that's something that's confounding to you and you want to sort of like um, get your work onto a platform where people actually go and search for talent. Mm. Um, those are great sites to register with. And you can have your own portfolio on your own website, but you can also have a portfolio on some of these um, illustration sites. And there are a number of them out there. And um, I've never used them, so I'm not going to like recommend them. But mm-hmm. I've known other people who are just starting out who use them and have gotten work through them. Um, there's a women, uh, uh, a great platform called Women Who Draw, and it's for women specifically. And it's a, it's a website where you, for female illustrators, you can submit your information and be on that site. And art directors go in. I mean, I've known people have gotten some pretty big jobs on that site, and it's free. Mm-hmm. You just have to submit. And, and so, as long as you're a working illustrator and you have a website, and then you can be on that site. And so mm-hmm. there, I think, you know, there's the, you know, of course, you know, Facebook is great and, <laughs> you know, but really just like, I recommend using the sites that you would be using anyway. Like yeah. if you're really into Instagram, you know, you know, start posting stuff on Instagram and start making it this place where you're, where you're sharing your work and your process and building, building a following. Um, because social media is, I basically built my career using social media. I entered Mm -hmm. this world with no connections. I had no experience in the art world. I did not go to school. And, um, and yet now I'm like, you know, like writing books for artists about how to make a living as an artist and Mm -hmm. teaching art classes. So I've obviously like, you know, kind of made progress, but that happened in that I built my following and started sharing my work using social media and, um, used to be in the old days you would have to like pay for advertising or you had to have an agent in order to get work. And now it's like, 
you know, the, the internet is there for you to use. I mean, of course that makes it a little bit more competitive mm. and the, the market for artists is really saturated. Um, you know, but, um, it's there for you to use and I highly recommend using it. Now to answer your second question about theft, mm-hmm. um, you always run the risk of people stealing your work. Mm. However, you don't put your work on the internet, you won't get work. So mm. it's like a double-edged sword, right? Mm. The chances of someone stealing your work are so slim that it's a calculated risk to put your work on the internet. Yeah. And um, like my work's been stolen and copied before, but I have um, the advantages and the opportunities I've gotten from putting my work on the interview in the, on the internet have so outweighed that <laughs> even that theft situation, which was kind of a big deal for me mm-hmm. that I still wouldn't do it ever do it differently. Like it's kind of like if you don't put your work on the internet, then how are you going to get work in the first place? So you have to sort of take the risk that it might be stolen and it, it does happen. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, but it doesn't, actually happen to that many people Mm. um so if am i making sense at all yeah absolutely it's like yes it can happen there's no way to prevent it unfortunately there's ways to fight it after it happens but that's also difficult yeah but i do also think that anyone whose work has been stolen will tell you i would bet 90 percent of them would tell you that they they would do it anyway or they would do it over because the the benefits far outweigh the inconveniences yeah. when they when and if they even happen yeah and I totally agree with you um I think this it goes for artists it goes for makers you know you see you see people who've like my stuff is on Pinterest and people are saying oh they could make that and I'm like so what they're not your customer anyway let them make it <laughs> yeah. that's right or let them, that's right let them that's right exactly and most of the time people say that and then they sit down to try to I'll never forget when I was, I used to, in the very, when I first left my job, Mm. I wasn't making a full-time living yet. And so one of the things I did was a friend of mine had some money for us to open a store together in San Francisco. So we opened this little gift shop and that was sort of how I supported myself as I got my art career off the ground. Mm -hmm. And I left my job in education. I opened the store with my friend and then like about half the time I would, when I wasn't there, I would work in my studio. But, um, I had, one of the things we did there was we had a little gallery and so we sold stationery and, um, jewelry and books and all kinds of things. And then in addition to the shop, we had this little gallery and every month we would have a new artist. And, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the illustrator, Julia Rothman, but she's an American illustrator. She's pretty well known. Mm -hmm. And she had a show there and her style is very naive. Like, um, she almost, uh, makes drawings that look kind of purposefully like childlike in some ways. Like right. I, I know, I'm not trying to mean her work at all, but like mm. that's a that's sort of naive aesthetic, like very simplistic, yeah. um, a little bit wonky on purpose. I mean, they're absolutely gorgeous, but they're meant to look not overworked, right? They're meant mm-hmm. to look very casual and, and that's a style is very popular now, but she was one of the first people to, to use that style. And I will remember one of my best friends came into the to her show and she was like, huh, okay, I don't really know what I think of this work. I think it's cute, but I could totally do that. <laughs> so she goes home that night and she tells me this, like, yeah. that she's not impressed. 
<laughs> she goes home that night apparently and tries to sit down and draw a pair of eyeglasses by looking at them on the table or, you know, and she comes back the next day and she's like, Lisa, I was completely wrong. I cannot do that. Like, it actually requires a certain amount of skill to make something look a little bit wonky or, you know, naive or imperfect. And, um, And I think that that's part of the problem with the internet is that so much art is being produced and so much of it is so beautiful in its simplicity. And so people are like, I could do that. Mm. But if they tried, they'd realize very quickly <laughs> that there's so many things that go into making a simple thing look simple that it's actually sometimes more complicated. So, which is why I think a lot of the time artists are are not necessarily copying other artists. It's mm. big companies just ripping off the work of yes. artists, which is really a bigger problem to yes. me. Definitely. And that's something that comes up again and again is unfortunate. Um, but again, uh, you know, the same thing happens if you don't put yourself out there, you know, you won't have a career. So that's right. It's like if you're, <laughs> if you're so scared that somebody's going to copy your work or that people aren't going to like your work or that you're going to be criticized or, you know, whatever. It's like you have to sort of work through that, that the discomfort of all of those things. Mm in order to get anywhere. And I think a lot of times people use those things as an excuse not to start something. Yeah. Absolutely. And they might even have enormous talent. They just are like, eh, no. And that's such a shame. Like what a loss to your, to the person yes. and to the world as well. Who knows what they could have created. Yes. Awesome. Now um, you've, you know, you've been working in this creative career for, I don't know, 15 or so, 10, 15 years now. And you know, I actually only been a professional artist in the sort of true sense of the word, like making my full-time living mm-hmm. at, for 10 years, although I've there been painting go. and drawing for closer to 20. Yeah. yeah. So, and I love that fact because I always say to people, you know, there's a big learning curve and it takes time, like the development of your skill, the development of, you know, the knowledge of business and all those sort of things as well. Um, but I think an important part of the puzzle is knowing that, it's not just you, like it's not just, you can't do it all by yourself. Uh, you need to learn from other people and you need to have support systems. Um, my listeners know, for example, my husband works in my, he works side by side with me in our business. And without him, I wouldn't be anywhere near where I am today because his support in just even the day-to-day stuff, like going shopping or <laughs> whatever it is, has, right. has made yeah. such a big difference. And I know, you know, your wife is a big part of your business. So do you think that's made having a supportive partner, do you think that's made a big difference on perhaps the growth of your business or the success of your business? Yes, absolutely. And she, she doesn't, she used to actually, for a period of time, she worked for me. She doesn't anymore, although she still manages my contracts. And I basically can't imagine getting through a day (laughs) and like not sitting down to the dinner table and saying like, Oh, this thing happened today. What do you think? Yeah. Um, In fact, earlier today, my publicist, is, and I are trying to scheme my next book tour, like what who should we invite to be part of it? And because the book includes a lot of different people and we wanted to invite some of them to be part of the book tour. And I'm really confounded about who to invite for this one city. And I already said to my wife earlier today, like I need to talk to you at dinner about this because um, I'm really, I'm, I'm really like at a loss for, mm-hmm. for how to approach this event. And just little things like, like that example on a daily basis, just, you know, because I spend a lot of time by myself. Mm. I had for a period of time, I had an assistant and I don't anymore. But 
having another person to sort of bounce ideas off of and to um, help you make big decisions, even if that person or that set of people aren't your employees, mm. is so important. Like I have friends who are part of, um, like my best friend is part of this group in San Francisco. It's a closed and private group, but mm. it's called the League of Awesome. And it's like, um, <laughs> I, <love that. laughs> I think it's like, isn't that great? Yeah. There's like five, five or eight of them. They're all creatives and they're all small business owners. Mm-hmm. And they meet once a month and they like drink wine and like have, you know, um, hors d'oeuvres and they go around and everybody each week presents whatever problem they're dealing with it that week. And they all weigh in with feedback or they commiserate if it's something that the person just needs a shoulder to cry on. Um, That's awesome. I and I love that, that idea. So like <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't always have to be, you know, your partner or, um, or somebody who works for you. But I do think the idea of having like making sure that you have a support system and if you don't have a supportive partner or a supportive family, then to go find other artists who could be your support network. And I know there are a lot of like online communities where Mm -hmm. you can sort of join and ask questions and make friends with people. Um, and I think it's so, so, so important. My best friend, the one I just mentioned, who's part of this group, mm-hmm. um, she lives in San Francisco. So she's not even sort of like, I see her maybe three or four times a year. Yeah. But we talk almost every day. Um, <laughs> I'll get an email and I'll say, do you think I should d- take this opportunity? Or what do you think about this? Or she'll say, hey, have you worked with this client before? Do you think this is a good opportunity? Mm-hmm. Um, and just puts you in the position of not having to make decisions by yourself and, um, you know, like, which makes all of the difference in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Because you can, I mean, you can doubt yourself and second guess yourself forever <laughs> until yeah. you perhaps, and and, you, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, and if you have someone like your husband or my wife who actually help you do things like pack and ship orders yeah. or, <laughs> you know, do actual labor for you or help you with your newsletter or whatever like then it's even icing on the cake yeah (laughs) absolutely absolutely it makes life a lot easier um and you know for people like you said i think it's important for people who don't have supportive partner or spouse and that does come up a lot um in my community that yeah you do reach out beyond that and find other people who understand and who you can work with and who can give you that support and guidance perhaps as well um and help you make those choices and decisions going forward so that you can get out of the stuckness and move forward yes um and keep experimenting with your career and working out what you want to do as well mm-hmm. now what uh, you know you talk about you know you spend a, a lot of the day alone obviously as, a, as an introvert like myself and a creative person <laughs> that's it's a, it's a good thing but what does like a general day or week for you look like like how much time do you do you spend making art how much time do you spend working on the business side of the business and how much time do you spend doing other things for yourself well it's interesting i've made a huge shift just in the last year to having more downtime and free time and taking on less work i had a really amazing but frenetic career for 10 years mm-hmm. um i actually wrote a blog post about it that I posted this week that's really about like recovering from burnout after, you know, working so hard for 10 years and just sort of thinking about this next phase of my career, which is really different. So for 
for the first 10 years, I was like the kind of person who got up and started working and pretty much plowed through until the end of the day. <laughs> I mean, I love, I'm pretty, you know, I love hanging out with my friends, especially since I was spending my days mostly by myself. Um, I'm pretty athletic. I love being outdoors. And so, you know, I, I was always sort of trying to make time for those things on the evenings and weekends. But I was feeling pretty overwhelmed by my workload. And so in the last year, I've really sort of shifted. Um, I'm still working and I'm still working for the most part full days, but I have fewer projects so I can Mm -hmm. take my time with them a bit more. And having that sort of space and more fluidity in my schedule has really been fantastic. And so um, nowadays I get up early I'm an early riser mm-hmm. um especially in the summer because I Portland um is pretty Oregon where I live is pretty far north and so the mm-hmm. days are very long they're very short in the winter <laughs> but they're pretty long like it doesn't get dark here until it's probably the opposite is it as it is for you mm-hmm. um being in the southern hemisphere but um you know it, in the summertime it stays light out really late and in the winter it gets dark really early and so and it gets light really early in the morning so i kind of get up with the sun mm-hmm. and um so in the summertime that's pretty early and i'm a i've become a meditator so i mm-hmm. like take up took up meditation actually as a as a way to deal with some anxiety that i was having yeah and um it's really like i I've tried it so many times in my life and I never <laughs> stuck out long enough to see the effects, but I actually have been doing it now for a few months and um, it's really been amazing and life changing for me just sitting and sort of focusing on my breath mm-hmm. for 15 to 45 minutes every day has really made a huge difference. That's and awesome. so, yeah, so I start my day with silent meditation and I, I don't allow myself to look at my phone mm. or check my email. The meditation that's good healthy <laughs> and then I go downstairs and I have coffee and breakfast and read the news and there's um a lot of news right now because mm. the United States just elected a, a new a president who every day gives us a, a new crazy surprise so that's my entertainment for the morning oh, um I say that facetiously but yeah a, a little taken um and then I I some days go to the gym mm-hmm. um, or go swimming, and um, some days I just get right to work at around eight o'clock. And if I start working at eight o'clock, I'm always done by four. Like mm-hmm. I try now not to work more than an eight-hour day, and I always try to take a lunch break. And I'm really lucky in that I bought a house a couple of years ago, and I did this very intentionally that had a space separate from the house that could be my studio so that I'm like, I can work from home, mm. but it's not in my house. Yeah. This kind of dreamy situation. So my studio is in the garage that was converted into a studio. And, um, so I literally have to walk 20 feet to work <laughs> and it's my own private place to work. But, um, you know, I come in to eat and sometimes like right now I'm in my house because, mm. um, it's a quieter in here than it is in my studio. Yeah. Um, so it's just, I like toggle back and forth. And um, so I spend most of my day out there. I try to work in like no more than 45 minutes to an hour and a half increments. And then I like to tra- take breaks and walk around and get mm-hmm. up and move, um, change up what I'm working on. And um, I also have another studio that is for painting. So it's like the place where I 
make larger work. Mm-hmm. It's where I get paint all over myself. It's like my messy <laughs> space. And um, so I go there a couple days a week and paint and um, I, and uh, and I have studio mates there who I adore and um, including my mother. Oh wow! She's one of the people studio with yeah she's also an artist and so yeah that's really it's like it's fun I have but I have very specific days like I go to the studio on Wednesdays and Fridays Mm -hmm. and um to that studio and then I work from home on Mondays Tuesdays and Thursdays and like every Thursday I ship Etsy orders so I really like having a, a I like having fluidity and you know, sort of being allowed to change what I work on every day. Mm -hmm. But I also like having some things that are very consistent and that helps me feel grounded and, um, you know, and so every day is a little different. Some days, um, I start off the day getting my administrative work and my emails answered. Um, some days I start, I don't do that until lunch and I start Mm -hmm. my day with writing because right now I'm writing two books. So, I spend I split my time between writing and then mm-hmm. making art. Then a period of the day I spend making art. Um I try to mix it up so that every day includes a little bit of administrative stuff, a little bit of art making and a little bit of writing. But mm-hmm. some days I spend the whole day making art or the whole day writing. It just <laughs> depends on, you know, like what's due and how much work I have to do. Mm-hmm. So but it's usually some combination of all of those things. And then outside of work I um, I have so much more free time now. I'm starting to read again. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, Portland, where I live, is a really, really beautiful city, and there's uh, amazing places to ride your bike and walk. So I try to do that as often as I can. I have a dog who needs to be walked every <laughs> single day, so <laughs> I spend a lot of time walking my dog. Um, and uh, I'm a swimmer, so I swim a few days a week as well, and I take time out of my schedule during the day to do that because mm-hmm. it feels really important to me. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about being self-employed. Yes. You can't really make a flexible schedule. And for a while I had an assistant and when she was working in my studio, it was felt like I had to be there. Yeah. <laughs> and she's a, lovely, she's a lovely person and I loved having her around, but I felt like I had to be there and she left recently and I decided not to hire a new person because I really enjoyed sort of the freedom that I had to kind of create my day however I wanted because I didn't have, someone that I needed to be there for. And, um, and I'm trying to take advantage of that right now. So that sounds awesome. You're like my, you're like my twin, like that day is just so similar to mine in some of the ways, you know, have fluidity, but some structure and the freedom to plan your day as, as kind of the flow takes you. Like if things pop up or you, you get immersed in a certain project, you have the freedom to just focus on that for the day. Um, and Portland is, I've been to Portland a few times. My mom's actually from Portland. She grew up in Multnomah. So, um, oh, that's so crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so awesome. I've been so there a few American. times. Yeah, she is. Yeah, she is. That's so great. <laughs> um, so yeah, like I, I think that one of the things that really drew me to wanting to pursue a career as an artist was not just making art and like making stuff that people found beautiful or interesting, which is certainly appealing. But part of it was just this idea that I could be my own boss. Mm -hmm. And um, some people are really frightened by that or would never want that. Um, But I actually love it because I am very self-directed and disciplined. Like Mm -hmm. my life is sort of ruled, even my free time sometimes is ruled by to-do lists. Like today, (laughs) you know, I think I'm going to read this, um, this book, you know, if I have time later in the afternoon or whatever. But I, as much as I'm sort of like, 
driven by, you know, getting my tasks done. Part of that is, um, part of the joy of sort of doing your own thing is that, yeah, like if you find, you know, let's say it's on your to-do list to, to do an illustration or make something and you get so consumed in the thing and it ends up taking you longer than you thought. You can actually shift your schedule around and do that mm-hmm. um, when you're a, when you're your own boss. And I really love the freedom of of that. Yeah. At the same time, I always create structure for myself because I know that if I just sort of like wake up in the morning, like, well, I'll just figure <laughs> out what I, I'll I'll figure it out later or whatever. Like, That's I inevitably stressful. I forget something. Yeah, it's so stressful. <laughs> structure is actually one of the things that calms us down. I remember yeah. when I was an elementary school teacher, like. The kids who were the most crazy and hyper were the ones who responded the best to to structure mm. and rules because, yep. you know, it actually calms us down. Yeah, it really does. And, uh, yeah, I'm the same. I absolutely love being my own boss. Like the thought of going back and working for someone else is just horrific to me. Um, so I'll do anything I can to try to avoid that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and some people do find it, I think, really stressful to be in charge because they have to be making all of those decisions. And by having some sort of routine in place, even if you break the rules, if you have them in place, you know, you can just – the days where you just want to follow the, the, the process and follow the routine, you can just do that and you don't have to continually be making decisions every second of the day. Yes, I agree 100%. <laughs> Now, before we finish up, um, do you have some piece of advice or one one particular thing that's been really important for your career that you'd like to give to fellow artists and makers about running a successful creative business? Um, I have so many things that <laughs> <laughs> that I would advise, but I think that one of the one of the things that I think people struggle with the most is and I think that sets sort of people who are successful apart is this idea of risk taking Mm. that if you are operating your business in your comfort zone meaning you're you're only making stuff that you know is going to sell or you're only making stuff that's super trendy or you're only you know you're sort of staying in this place of of sort of comfort Mm. Your business is, you might make enough money to live, um, but in order to sort of set yourself apart or have your business go to the next level, it's always super important to push yourself out of your comfort zone and start sort of taking some risks. Mm-hmm. And that looks different for everyone. Yeah. But for me, I didn't actually, my business didn't really take off until I really sort of embraced my crazy ideas and sort of went with them. For example, this, this you know, project that I, talked about a little bit ago this collection a day project Mm. I remember telling my partner who I wasn't married to it at the time um but we were you know we were living together and I was like I'm gonna do this project and I think you're gonna think it's crazy but I I just have this gut feeling that it's gonna resonate with people and that it's gonna lead to, to to something cool and that project you know, I got me all kinds of crazy press, but also it just sort of, I ended up starting to draw collections of imaginary things mm. that were in a similar style as my photographs and which led to a whole new body of work for me, which led to work that I did with the the Museum of Modern Art in New York and like led to all these things. And if I had, it's, it's also sort of what we were talking about earlier, this idea of staying open and mm. sus- suspending disbelief about what is possible 
um, I had a gut feeling, and so always trust your gut feelings, um, <laughs> that that this thing was going to be interesting for people or that it was going to lead to something. And I didn't know exactly what it was, but um, so I went with this, I did this project for a year and it led to all kinds of amazing things. And, um, and it was a risk for me in terms of like, I was putting my work out there every day. I was using valuable time to do this project that in, in the end, I really didn't have any idea what it was going to do. I just sort mm. of had a feeling about it. And I'm so glad that I did. And since then, every time I have like that spark of inspiration where I'm like, Oh, I could do this instead of talking myself out of it, which is, I think, what a lot of people do. Like, oh, that's too weird, or <laughs> I could never do that. You know, hold on to that idea and go with it and and turn it into something. Because that those are the moments, those are the things that sort of like take your career or your business to the next level um, or your art practice or, you know, whatever your product is. Mm-hmm. Um, and seizing those moments and going with them, even though they might sound a little kooky or feel a little kooky to you. Um, that's where the magic is always in the crazy ideas. I love that. The magic not is the, always in the crazy in, ideas. <laughs> yeah. Like not in the stuff that you're comfortable with. So <laughs> That's brilliant. Thank you so much, Lisa. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a really fascinating conversation. I've loved hearing your story and your experiences. Um, where can people find you online? Um, my website is lisacongdon.com and from there you can sort of link to all the other places I'm at, I'm at Lisa Congdon, um, on Instagram and Twitter, although Twitter is mostly like political ranting (laughs) and not my artwork. So, um, so probably not interesting to most people. Um, and, uh, I'm on Pinterest too. I love Pinterest. Oh yeah. Pinterest Um, is great. I have lots of boards on Pinterest, um, uh, inspiration that I'm collecting and work, other people's work that I love. Um, and, um, you can just search for my name there. Awesome. And pretty much, oh, and then Facebook, I have a a Facebook fan page too. Mm -hmm. Um, that's easy to search for. My name is like, my first name is really common, but my last name is really obscure. So it's actually really easy to find me online. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's a nice thing about having an unusual name. (laughs) You, you can probably relate. Yes. Yes. So, yes. <laughs> and um, I highly recommend uh, everybody listening who is an artist or an illustrator checks out Lisa's book as well, Art Inc. And you have some uh, you, you have some video um, workshops and stuff as well, don't you? That you are linked to on your website. Yeah. About... So I have a whole slew of classes. So if you go to lisacongan.com, there's a link up at the top that says classes. Mm-hmm. And then um, and then I also have um, a slew of books mm-hmm. um and so if you click on the link that says books you'll find those and and i have an etsy shop that that um is also plugged into my site so so many places and so, so many things, things. yeah <laughs> so many things in the, your prolific 10 years which has been brilliant <laughs> thank, you. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the show it's been wonderful to talk to you thank you for having me jess Huge thanks again to Lisa for coming on the show and sharing her story with us. I absolutely adored um, chatting with her. I felt like I spent almost the entire conversation sitting here nodding. You could probably hear me going, mm-hmm, a lot, because, uh, you know, I definitely agree with 
a lot of what, well, pretty much all of what Lisa had to share and what she said about, you know, the process of growing a creative business. So do definitely check out her website, lisacongdon.com. And uh, again, if you have any questions or feedback after this episode, come on over to the Create and Thrive Facebook page or the Instagram or the blog, whatever floats your boat, (laughs) and say hi and leave your thoughts about this or any other episode. Thanks again for listening, of course, and I'll be back again next week with another episode of the Create and Thrive podcast. And goodbye for now.